Shelly Martin Podcast. Hi, and thank you for joining us for episode three of the Jelly Marketing Podcast. I'm your host, Rod Jans. On the Jelly Marketing Podcast, we ask global industry leaders from world-class brands to share their best practices, stories, innovations, and more to help you move your agency, business, or organization ahead. Our topic for today is landing page optimization. Our guest, Ollie Gardner, is from Unbounce. He is one of the co-founders and is an industry leader and speaker on how to optimize your website and capture leads. Stay tuned to the end of this interview where we find out what Ollie likes to spread on his toast, which in Ollie's case isn't much. Episode number three, click here now. Here we go. Hi, Ollie. Thanks for joining me today on the Jelly Marketing Podcast. My pleasure, Rod. It's great to be here. Ollie is the co-founder of Unbounce, and we're going to get into that into a minute, or in a minute. We'll talk more about that. But in the meantime, I'd like to find out a little bit more about you and uh, your career path. Mm-hmm. So um, just I know from the conversation that we just had that you're living in Vancouver, but I detect maybe a slight accent. Are you from somewhere else originally, or have you always been from Vancouver? Yeah, I grew up in a tiny village in Scotland, um, and my accent is, is really diminished. I mean, if I get drunk or watch train spotting, it, it comes out a <laughs> lot <laughs> stronger. Um, yeah. I moved to Vancouver in uh, 2000, but yeah, so I grew up in this little village which had one shop which closed at midday, and one pub full of crotchety old men who didn't like people or change. <laughs> you know, we, we, as kids, we spent our days climbing trees, making bows and arrows, and listening to a lot of heavy metal to <laughs> ward off the small-town boredom. <laughs> <laughs> I think the Scottish accent is probably one of those most contagious accents. You know, you, whenever you watch a movie like Train Spotting or another movie, a Scottish movie, you, you tend to walk out of there trying to talk in a, in a Scottish brogue. You know? <laughs> <laughs> totally. Where, where did your... Um, interest in marketing and business start? Did you always want to be in business or did that come to you along the way? I think I was always an entrepreneur as a child. I mean, I didn't know it because you don't know what that is. Uh, yeah. you know, I was always uh, very hyperactive. So I was always bugging my mom, like, what can I do? What can I do? She's like, just go play. I'm like, I don't know what to, I don't want to do. <laughs> I was clueless. <laughs> so she ended up starting to pay me little bits of money to like vacuum the house. It was like a five-story house. It was my grandparents' house. Um, yeah. So, and all the stairs are carpeted, so that's not a fun job. So she started paying me for that. And so I I liked earning money, but I think more than uh, marketing, optimization, I think, is always, again, who would have known what that was called? But I'm obsessed with that now, but it was always on my mind. There just wasn't a name for it for me. I mean, (laughs) looking back, I did a lot of shoplifting when I was a kid. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I'm neither proud nor unproud of that. I think a little rule breaking goes a long way. Um, but this is back when CDs had just emerged. And I was always trying to figure out how to get more for my money. And it, it was quite easy to buy a CD, record it on tape, take it back, give a lame excuse like, oh, somebody bought this for, my, for me, but I already had it. Right? <laughs> so you change it for something yeah. else. So that's 100% conversion rate. You get two CDs for one. But I wasn't happy with that. Because <laughs> when, when you change it they sign the receipt to signal that a return has happened so i saw that as a challenge how can i optimize the situation so what i did i tore the receipt into four or five pieces then i put it back together with tape on both sides my excuse in the record store was like oh i got caught in the washer or something and because it was covered in tape they couldn't sign it which gave it infinite (laughs) lives 
yeah, I went to university in Edinburgh, but I, you know, I extended my reach to the chain stores in Glasgow too. You know, there were six record stores in Glasgow, three of which had multiple levels and multiple cash registers. So I peddled this excuse around every single one of them, perhaps 10 in one hour and got a ton of free music. So I think you could say I was ahead of Napster, but in a, an unscalable way. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. Oh, you know, one thing I was going to confess to you during our pre-talk uh, before our interview was that we um, at, we met at, briefly at the Canadian Internet Marketing Conference. Actually, you were the first speaker, yes. and I, I really enjoyed your talk. And I was interviewing all of the speakers there, and I got an interview with every single person. And I did interview you, but for some reason, your interview was the only one that didn't go through oh, on my phone or true. my recording. So, <laughs> well, this anyway. <laughs> That's right. This can make up for it. I'm so glad that we were able to connect. And uh, and w- when I realized that, or when Darian from Jelly Marketing said that he wanted to do a podcast, you were one of the first people I thought of that, oh man, I'd like to talk to him again. And this is this is going to be even better because we can yeah. go into some more uh, depth here. <laughs> you mentioned going to uh, university. What did you take? Commerce or marketing in in, in college? <laughs> no. Um, no, I wanted to be a sound engineer, mm-hmm. and I was horribly misled by the careers guidance person uh, in my high school. I basically said, "Oh, I'm a sound engineer," and she said, "You can't do that. There's nowhere to do that." And well, you could do it in Perth, which is 30 miles from where I lived. You can do it in Nottingham, and of course, you can do it in London. But she said, "No, not possible." And then she oh, said, wow. "Maybe you should go to Napier University in Edinburgh and do this course." <laughs> it was like electronic and communication engineering. Uh, so I went, did a tour with some guy there, and we're walking around, and I said, can I like parlay this into becoming a sound engineer? And his response was, maybe. <laughs> I'm like, okay, it's good enough for me. <laughs> yeah. And it was terrible. It was, it was just an awful, awful course. Just, just not interested at all. But then one, my best friend in university, he took a year off, so when he came back, I was finished. He wasn't. So I was like, oh, I'll stick around and do a master's just so we can hang out. So then I did digital <laughs> electronic design, which is basically semiconductor design. And uh. yeah, totally useless. <laughs> <laughs> but there was some coding involved in that. So that kind of got me started on the path to becoming a programmer, which is kind of my first professional job. Well, at least we're being consistent. I've interviewed three people so far for the Jelly Marketing Podcast, and none of them have a commerce. Oh, no, sorry. One did. But they, she didn't start. She started out in journalism and right. then took a marketing course at BCIT. But, yeah, no one went straight into uh, business or into marketing. So yeah. <laughs> we're being consistent here. What, what are some other things you did before starting Unbounce? Uh, I mean, other than stealing. Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> stealing music and, yeah. Um, well, I worked in a beehive factory. Um, <laughs> that was such a bad job. Um, <laughs> I worked as a C programmer for a futures and options derivative trading platform in the London financial district, then moved to Canada, got laid off in the 2001.com crash. Uh, luckily, I got in, like, I got my permanent residence like just before it happened. <laughs> Otherwise, I would have struggled <laughs> to get into the country. I delivered pizza for six months after that while building a web design portfolio. Basically, I told 10 ecotourism companies around Vancouver and Vancouver Island that their sites sucked, which, which was the <laughs> beginning of, of me saying that many times over my career now, I think, uh, <laughs> and that I'd rebuild and redesign them for free if they gave me yeah. free trips, like whale watching and bear watching, and the ability to use them as an example of my work. So that kind of worked out. Then I ran a usability team for a billion dollar gambling company and I ended up being creative director there. And then we started Unbounce. 
Is that where you really kind of cut your teeth when you're doing the usability job? Uh, is that where you really started to figure this out, or has it just been a process along the um, way? Yeah, bits and pieces from everywhere, but yeah, around that time. So I did that, and I was also an interaction designer. So I, I, combining those things really was the was the beginning of you know, an information architecture, all of that leads into the optimization stuff I do now. And, you know, so, yeah, it's, it's been this kind of progressive path slowly from uh, the beginning, like the technical side, over to the creative side and then the marketing side. So kind of I've, I've moved from where I shouldn't have been to where I should be. <laughs> but I'm happy about it, though, because, I mean, I think if, uh, yeah, I, I just love having those technical chops to back up anything I want to do. It sounds like when you look back, it's all kind of led up to Unbounced, didn't it? I mean, even even the music, like you said, you were into optimization <laughs> way back then, and vacuuming, and 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 then even having that job for that for the casino, it all kind of helped yeah. prep you for starting for starting Unbounced. I think so, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I want to get into marketing. This is a marketing show where yeah. we mostly talk about marketing, but I'm also fascinated. I just love entrepreneurs. I love people that start their own business. And I, I so admire people that do it and manage to do it um, successfully. What were the early days of Unbounce like and, and what were your thoughts uh, going into it? Uh, well, I mean, the day I, I said it a lot, but the day I start, we started the company was the day I became a marketer, um, which was kind of, it, it was a giant risk for me. You know, I hadn't done it before. Uh, but it's also a big sign of trust in the rest of the founders, you know, that I could do it. Uh, you know, you have to be bold when you're, you know, I'm willing to take risks when you're starting a business. Um, so what was it like at the beginning? It was really difficult, uh, but exciting. You know, we did like 14, 16 hour days all the time and we had no money. Uh, but yeah, I, I think that's kind of what makes it interesting. It was not easy. We didn't raise money. Like we, we had like a tiny bit from friends and family that got us a little way in. Then we did a, a small angel round, and eventually we did a Series A. But we've raised less than a million total. Um, but you know, we we all worked from home, uh, and every Friday we'd all kind of rotate. We'd go to someone's house and they'd cook breakfast, and <laughs> that's how we kind of kept together. Uh, huh. And then well, Rick and I basically we propped up the end of a bar called Central Bistro for uh, for many years. That's kind of where a lot of Unbounce was born. He'd be on his laptop. Um, working on a pitch deck for uh and i would be doing napkin sketches for the website and for marketing theories and all that kind of stuff so that, that's kind of that's kind of what it looked like when we began <laughs> would you do it any differently like i've been in that position before of of, of being in a startup where um you know there's very little money getting mm -hmm. started and i i can i look back now and i can see some benefits of it like you have to really make smart decisions you don't uh, you really got to hustle, and you don't you don't waste money. But uh, would you would you try and do it any differently if you had to do it over again? Would you try and raise money first, or or would you, are you just you happy with the way you did it? Uh, happy with the way we did it. The only thing I would change, I couldn't change at the time. I wish I could. Basically, when we started, a few of us needed a small salary. Some didn't mm -hmm. had some money. Um, but I'd just come back from Costa Rica. Rick and I worked there, and I got really sick, so I couldn't work for six months ended mm -hmm. up going, not bankrupt, but a similar thing. So I was broke. So I needed a little bit of a salary. So that means those who didn't take it have a, a larger share in the company. We started even. Uh, but I guess they earned sweat equity over the first little period. And that's not a lot of money then. But 
it translates into a big change seven years down the line. So I yeah. wish I had had the facility to not do that, you know, mm-hmm. but the reality is we wouldn't have been able to build the company if people hadn't made those kinds of sacrifices. So how many founders are there? How many people were in, in, in a, from the beginning? Six of us, which is rare, but very effective because, you know, we, we, there wasn't anything we couldn't do, you know, and we had lots of good overlap as well. Lots of creative overlap, lots of technical overlap. Um, it was interesting because uh, coming in, you know, I've been a creative director and all these other things. And Jason Murphy, our COO, uh, had also been a creative director when we, when we first worked together back in 2001. And I was, and this is before we decided who was going to do what. We had no titles. And he said, can I do all like the, the financial and legal stuff? And I'm like, hell yes. <laughs> okay. <Yeah. fair> <laughs> yeah. That freed me up to kind of do what I wanted to do. Um, yeah. So that was quite cool because you always want someone to do that who's interested in it. And how many years has it been? And is everybody still with you? It'll be seven years in August. Uh, Jason, he actually took a year off. He he wanted to go traveling, um, so we we facilitated that. You know, we an investor bought like a little portion of his stock, so he could afford to go traveling for a year. And now he's back. Uh, we have a new COO, but now he's back in a, a very specific role trying to tackle our churn uh, metrics and, and and things like that. Um, one of the founders is no longer with us. Uh, he wasn't really interested in growth. You know, once it got bigger, he didn't, he doesn't like people. <laughs> so everything's on great terms, but he decided to, you know, move on to something else. Well, let's dive into landing pages a little bit. But first of all, just give us the over a bird's eye view of Unbounce. What do you guys, what do you do? Uh, Unbounce is a self-serve platform for building landing pages. Basically, you can build them. Uh, it's a WYSIWYG drag-and-drop editor, you can use templates, you can start from scratch. Like One of the, the powerful things about it that differentiates us is that it's 100% customizable. You can delete stuff, move it around, bend it, break it. So you can recreate uh, your Photoshop design, whatever it is, your, uh, your homepage, whatever you need to do, so it can be very on-brand. So that, cause that's really important, um, not to have like some template that looks like something else. Uh, publish it in one click, you can A-B test them. It's all really simple. The goal the reason we started the company was to empower marketers to do their jobs themselves, not rely on technical people to either build it um, or publish it or, you know, talking to IT to get something done. They don't want to do, be building marketing pages. They want to be building product, and that's what they should be doing or looking after infrastructure. So we're kind of making both sides of the coin happy by facilitating people to do that. So that's kind of that's what it does. Mm-hmm. I, I'm fresh off of a networking meeting this morning where someone was saying that they're some the, the person that they were working with didn't think that they needed a website. <laughs> so, <laughs> I, I, our our goal with Jelly Marketing is to primarily talk to marketers. So, but I know there's still people out there that that still have that view. This person, by the way, did come around. That right. that. The the guy that was a part of our networking meeting said, "Are you you're crazy?" So he went and created his own website. And eventually, this other person said, "Can we just use your website as our company website?" So <laughs> he did see the value in it eventually. Good, good. But how does a land how's a landing page different from just your typical uh, website? Right. Good question. So your website is for organic traffic, search traffic from Google or someone just typing in uh, your 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 domain name to go look at your site. 
it's it contains your entire business model, right? You know, it's got your pricing, it's got the features, what the thing does, your value proposition. It, it, that's what it's for. Um, a landing page is a single web page designed for a marketing campaign. So if you're doing email marketing, PPC, social, whatever it is, when someone clicks on your ad or link, it should go to a dedicated experience, and that's what a landing page is for so that it matches the intent much more strongly. It can deliver on the promise rather than, you know, your homepage is great for some things, but it's a generic message most often, especially if you have multiple services, multiple products. It's not going to match up tightly enough uh, with your campaign goal. And, you know, you can run tons of different types of campaigns. So having a, a dedicated page for each of them makes a lot of sense. And there's so many uses. It's not just for that. Like, say you are... Uh, an event marketer or something, or, or you're speaking at a conference and you want to share a link in your talk, it's better if that goes to a page dedicated to that. So you're continuing the conversation. It makes sense. People are a lot more likely to convert when they have that dedicated experience. Hmm, that's a great idea. I always just think of lead pages in terms of, uh, you know, capturing leads. But um, yeah, that's a good. That's another good use for for uh, for a landing page. Mm-hmm. Well, you actually use them for for hiring. Um, Reason for everything, uh, and we couldn't exist without our own tool. Uh, but you know, when we hire people, if you send us your resume, we delete it. Uh, if you give it to us, we tear it up. Uh, basically, <laughs> <laughs> because we want people. What you have to do is you have to open a free account, build a landing page, to tell us why we should hire you, why you want to hire, uh, work for us, and it gets rid of all the people who are spraying their resume to every tech company in town, uh, and they go through this process and. The creativity is astounding, the things people will do. And mm. that, that's way more powerful than a resume. And also, you know, the quality goes up. But it also means they've seen the product. They understand it. They probably get touched by um, our customer success team. That sounds perverted. Uh, <laughs> they don't get touched. <laughs> we, don't, we don't touch our customers. Um, <laughs> they come into contact. This is bad. Anyway, they, there'll be some, <laughs> some, some communication there. So they get a sense of what our onboarding is like, what, what, our, what our whole brand kind of feeling is. And that really warms them up to, you know, understanding what it would like to work here. So there are many creative uses for landing pages. So when we're thinking about capturing leads, mm-hmm. which, you know, a lot of business people are going to be uh, thinking about and marketers, that's, you know, they, they need to create leads for the companies that they work for. Uh, a landing page doesn't re- necessarily always just work by itself, does it? It, it needs to be maybe, um, you know, a link to it from your social media account or a, a paid ad, a Google ad. Uh, and that sort of thing is correct. Yeah, it needs an inbound channel, and it, it needs to traffic needs to come from somewhere apart from organic. I mean, you can still do that, but it doesn't make much sense. Yeah, and then you know, then you hook that page up into whatever you need, like your email service provider or your CRM or whatever it is. You know, HubSpot, Salesforce. What you know, so all of your leads can be passed automatically through that when when they're you know collected on this landing page. Um, yeah, so it, it's it's part of, I guess, you know, an overall marketing automation strategy. Yeah, great. And uh, you gave some great points at the uh, Canadian Internet Marketing Conference. Maybe it, I was so fresh, it was the first one right. or whatever, but I took the most notes at your, <laughs> during your talk. Well, thank you. And it's a little hard to do during a, an, a, 
an audio conversation, but maybe you could give us two or three tips for, for doing it well, for, for, uh, for optimizing a landing page. Yeah, uh, the most important aspect uh, of conversion is clarity. You know, if you can communicate, you can, you can sell. Uh, if you can't, you can't, <laughs> right? So getting your message right is, is the kind of number one thing you need to do. And one of the things I was talking about there is there are certain exercises you can do to figure out if you have a clarity problem or not. Uh, something I love doing as part of conversion research is running five-second tests. Um, Usability Hub is the tool I use for that. So you give a screenshot of your landing page. People see it for five seconds, then you ask a question. And, you know, something simple like what is this what is this page about what is this what product does this uh company offer and you'll get back 25 or more uh, answers from people and it can be fascinating you'll you'll get a lot of no clue um or don't know or people just completely misunderstanding and then you know once you know you have a problem then you can work on that and uh um when it comes to Things like, you know, copywriting, uh, what you see on your call to action can actually have a decent impact. We looked at a lot of data here and we found things like, uh, and this is specifically for lead gen, this isn't for e-commerce I'm talking about right now, but um, using the word free on your call to action can be detrimental uh, in certain circumstances. For e-com, that's totally fine because obviously free is, a, is an actual value there. But when it's B2B marketing, I think people don't believe in the word free anymore because, you know, there's this exchange of social currency. When you have someone's email, you know they're going to market to you. So that's uh, taking that out can help increase conversions. Saying click here as part of it helps, according to the data we've got, uh, using the word now, you know. So click here to download my my ebook now. Don't put free in there. Say my instead of your. Uh, there's all these little combinations. Um, and what I find when I run tests based on this data is that you make one little change, like add the word now or, or click or something, doesn't make much, doesn't really make any difference. When we add a few of them together, it can actually work. I mean, about 70% of the tests I run by removing free and adding things like click here and now and my instead of your, about 60, 70% of them are actually winning. So it's, it's really interesting. Um, and then one other thing, I guess, quickly, the label you put on your email address form field matters. I found that if you put the word business, say business email address, you get higher quality, uh, better information. You'll get people putting in their professional email address, not their personal one. And what that means is when you do email marketing, you know you are communicating to them when they're at work making business decisions, which is a lot smarter than sending it to their personal email, which they maybe read later on, or they only glance at during the day. So it's a good strategy. That's awesome. Yeah, I was fascinated by it. Was, it words really matter, don't they? Like mm. you, you, you spelt that out really well at the conference. That just by changing the words a little bit uh, can really change the, uh, the the results. And what was the site again that you mentioned right off the top about testing? Uh, usabilityhub.com. Usability Hub. Yeah. Is that a free service or is that something that people need to um, uh, sign it's, up it's for? Both. Um, have it's both. Different okay. types of tests as well. But basically, if you you can partake in tests as well. That's kind of how they build their ecosystem. Uh, mm -hmm. You can go and do other people's tests, and that earns you credits. So then you can use those credits to buy to pay for your own tests. Uh, obviously, if you want to run a, lot, run a lot of them, you need to pay, and you know, to, to accelerate that. But yeah. it's, a, it's a really great. It's not scientific. 
there's not enough numbers for that. It's an insight. And you need to use multiple sources of insight. So there's that, you know, user recording, scroll maps, heat maps from Hotjar or something. Um, you wrap all these things up into a hypothesis before you actually do a scientific A-B test. So they're, they're just inputs into to help you understand what's going right or wrong. Testing a little bit really makes a difference, doesn't it? It can. Um, most people yeah. do testing wrong. Uh, okay, like, T- tell us about that. How do they do it wrong? <laughs> A-B testing. Almost everybody does it wrong, uh, at least to begin with. I did uh, for years because uh, it's exciting. You try it. You, you run tests. It's, it's winning or it's losing. You go, oh, and you stop it. Uh, which is the biggest problem. Everybody calls tests too early, and there's a massive risk to your business success when you do that because every single A-B test, guaranteed, every single one will have an initial spike. There'll be an, it'll just go, and you'll see one is way outperforming another because mm-hmm. the sample size is so low at that point that it's a dramatic difference when one is converting and one's not. You have to wait for it to settle uh, you know, in at least two weeks. But actually, the timing, you need a sample size calculator. You say... What's your conversion rate? What's the kind of lift you, you hope to get? You know, just say 10% or something. How much traffic do you get per day? And it will tell you how long you have to run your test for, uh, which is good for two reasons. One, it will say to get statistical significance, you have to run this for 18 years because <laughs> you don't get enough <laughs> traffic. Then you're like, oh, shit, I shouldn't be testing. Uh, and you have to do something else. So it's a, it's a great way to look at it. And then say it says you need to run it for three weeks. You have to wait. For those three weeks because it will go up it'll go down uh, you'll you'll be scary it'll be surprising um but you're not going to know the truth until that point and that's when you make a decision uh sometimes if it, if it is really signaling that it's completely going wrong consistently day after day then stop it but yeah you need to you need to do it pro- properly and that's a big question a lot of people have how do i optimize a low traffic site well a b testing isn't optimization it's a tool that helps you optimize what you need to do if you have low traffic, you spend, if you're on a growth curve, which you hopefully are, there'll be a point where you do have enough traffic to A-B test. In the meantime, maybe it's three months, six months, you should be doing the research, running five-second tests, getting, uh, doing surveys, interviews, uh, all this kind of stuff. So you're building up insights. So when you do have enough traffic, you can implement a test based on really well thought out insight and research. So good. So something I've been asking all of our guests is sort of a, is for a recent uh, success and uh, maybe a marketing flop that you could share with us. So let's start out with the, with the success. Do you have a client story or a raving fan who uh, has really benefited from Unbounce? I think one of the probably hard to pick one. You probably have a lot of <laughs> success stories. Right. I, I'm, like in terms of, you know, some of our, our customers or, one thing I loved hearing, and this happened several times, we have agencies who are clients, and since using us, they've then pivoted their entire business, and all they do is service unbounced customers, because mm. then they're doing the same kind of work all the time, the same kind of optimization and design and all these kinds of things, and they're becoming really successful at making their clients successful, because they have this pr- more predictable model for their marketing, and it, it's it's incredible to see the impact we can have on other businesses to help them scale in that way. So that's really cool. That's cool. Yeah. What is, what are some things that you've or what's one thing you can think of that has sort of flopped in the past that that you've learned an important uh, lesson from, and when it comes to business or marketing? Yeah, I guess a couple of things. One, one on, the, on the testing side, because like I said, I, I used to do it wrong. 
we ran a, <laughs> we ran a test on our pricing page where I wanted to put a block in there that kind of just a bunch of checklists that you, you get this, 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 like just talking about some of the benefits of the, of the product. And I put it in below the pricing grid and the test flatlined. It didn't have any impact. So I'm like, well, I may as well just leave it in, right? It's not hurting. It's not helping, but it's good information. I'll leave it in. Little did I know that by doing that, it pushed what used to be below the pricing page, which was, uh, if you're not ready to pay yet, you know, you just want to kick the tires. Here's a free account. It pushed mm -hmm. that down 250 pixels to the point where a lot of people didn't see it. Six weeks later, we're like, whoa, all our numbers start dropping because no free signups were happening. So there were no upgrades to paid from free happening. And it took us a week to figure out what it was. Um, and then we, we reversed it. But we lost a lot of money on that because of that uh, that test and not doing it right. And the, and the problem there, part of it was a lack of process. There wasn't an annotation in Google Analytics to say, we did this on this day, because we could have just looked back and gone, oh, we did that, okay, undo it. But it yeah. took us a long time. So you have to really record what you're doing um, and, and well. But I mean, personally, I you know, my career's kind of been very successful, like all the way through. And I think the the only thing that really stands out as a failure was <laughs> I was speaking uh, in Warsaw in Poland, and this was I just I was very fresh. It was like my fifth gig or something, and I was basically saying yes to everything. And they said, "Well, will you do a workshop on day two as well?" I'm like, "Sure." I've never done that before. I'm not a teacher. I'm a speaker. Um, I can, but I wasn't prepared for it. And it was an eight-hour workshop. By oh my myself, <laughs> and and I, I had no slides for it. I I, I basically figured out at the last minute because I didn't have time. I'm like, uh, I'll just critique everyone's landing pages. I'll look at their work, and that'll be way more valuable than me just kind of blabbing for eight hours uh, about <laughs> something that I, I, I wasn't prepared for. So I thought, okay, there's 22 people. We'll go through. We'll learn from one another. Blah blah blah. Uh, out of 22, only four of them had landing pages, even <laughs> though they were told to come with landing pages and of those four all of them are in polish <laughs> so it was the most uncomfortable massive failure of my professional career uh, i just sat there uncomfortably the whole time i don't remember what i did it's like a, it's like a daze it's like a like minus blacked it out or something just <laughs> terrible like, yeah, you can maybe maybe get get away with it for an hour of being yeah, unprepared, right? but eight hours is they like, pay, that's, that's they an impossible task. For this. I mean, if <laughs> oh, I was no. wealthy, I would have given them all the money back. <laughs> <laughs> but that, that haunted me. It still does, actually. But like for a good year, I it really it affected my confidence a little bit, but it, it, I just felt bad for those people. The, the, they'd seen I, my talk was great. So they're all thinking, oh, this is going to be so good. We get a whole day with this guy. <laughs> it's probably the most yeah. boring day they've ever had. Yeah, so the question was just going back to you you talking about other agencies using Unbounce, Unbounce now as a, a major product offering. It, was that sort of an unexpected result of what you're doing? It must must be really rewarding for that to happen. It is. It, it wasn't expected. I mean, we we didn't realize until maybe a year ago that our our best customers are agencies and in-house marketing teams. Mm -hmm. You know, at the beginning, we we had cheap accounts like ten dollars, twenty five dollar plans, and that just meant we had a lot of non-marketers coming in, just wanting to build a page or something. 
and that's dangerous because that's not your ideal customer. They're not even a, a proper customer because they just churn because it's not for them. And the support burden is massive because they, they're not marketers. So they ask these, they, they're learning as they go and maybe they don't even want to be doing marketing. So it's when we turned those off, it was a big benefit to us. Revenue went up, mm. support times went down. But yeah, no, we didn't really anticipate that. I mean, <laughs> in the beginning, you know, we didn't even have forms on the page when we launched it. It was just like a button, <laughs> an image and some text or whatever, you know. It was very basic, and we really did learn from our customers the whole way through in that first couple of years, you know, what they were looking for, uh, which integrations they, they needed to, you know, to MailChimp or to, you know, Infusionsoft, things like that. There was one other little sort of marketing geeky question I wanted to ask you. I saw an article on your Facebook page about, you know, how important it is or is it important to have information above the fold? And I, I, I can't remember what you said about it at the at the conference, but what have you found about information that is above the fold on the web page or below? Yeah, it's a it's a common question has been for years ever since you know the internet began you know you need to keep yeah. everything above the fold well it's not true um the above the fold experience that's your value proposition that's how you communicate very quickly what you do why people should care you know your headline introductory paragraph few bullet points your call to action your hero image those are the immediate things so that's what needs to be above the fold um in looking at some data from wistia it's important to keep your video above the fold for high engagement, the further down it goes, the lower the engagement is. Also from the data, um, having your form, it doesn't have to be above the fold. It, you, know, you can start it. It's crazy data, actually. The ideal place to begin the top of your form is 666 pixels down the, the page. So don't be afraid <laughs> to push that down. Um, and also in some experiments we did with our, our own site, we put a scroll map on Unbounce.com and nobody went below 1,000 pixels, and it's a 6,000-pixel mm. page. And we think that's because the value proposition is very simple. Build, publish, and test landing pages that IT. Okay, get it. And the call to action is right there. So a lot of people just click through straight away. They don't scroll. But in another test, as soon as they move the call to action to the bottom of the page, people scrolled. And then they get to experience all of this extra content. Now, it might not make your conversion rate go up. Um, we found that in some tests, but what it does have the opportunity to do is they get more information. So if they sign up, let's say they're in your product and there's a feature they need to be successful. Your product has it, but they can't find it. They don't know where it is. They don't know how to use it. If they'd read that extra content on your site, there's a good chance they know it does exist and they can be successful. So it can impact. It's not just your conversion rates. It impacts lifetime, yeah, how long someone stays with you, whether they churn, whether they become an ideal customer, uh, you know, end up upgrading, whatever, you know. So you have to look further down the timeline to see what these people are doing. Look at cohort analysis to see whether they are staying with you. What's the lifetime value of people who saw the full page versus just the short portion of? Because mm -hmm. that can make a profound difference. So just some final questions to wrap up. We've, we, we've been asking all of our guests these questions as well. I, I, I call them quick questions only because I'm going to ask them quickly. Your, <laughs> yeah. answers, your, your answers don't have to be short if you don't want. But <laughs> So the, um, the first one is, because we are the Jelly Marketing Podcast, we've been asking everybody what they like to spread on their toast. Only butter. 
Only butter. That's it. I don't do it. <laughs> really, anything, nothing anything else. else. I have lots of food phobias. I'm terrified of things like jam or jelly. And uh, <laughs> sorry, jelly, <laughs> uh, peanut butter. I just can't go near them. They terrify me. <laughs> and what do you do to handle stress? Uh, red wine. Red wine. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not. You know, I'm not stressed at all ever anymore. I used to be. Uh, yeah. I used to have like anxiety and depression problems. That's all in my past. Now I, I don't get stressed at all, really. So, do you mind me asking what did what's made the difference? Like, why don't you? Uh, um, why don't those things bother you anymore? Well, when they did bother me, that was part of like a, a kind of a dark period of my life uh, where I was kind of addicted to prescription medication for like four years. And you know, okay. like you know, doctors are like they just keep dumping more and more on you. And I, it took me a year to kind of go through withdrawal from that. And you know, from one initial symptom of insomnia. Everything piles on top, and all of a sudden, you've got your anxiety ridden. Get rid of those medications, and actually, those symptoms don't exist. So, mm. apart from the insomnia, that still exists. But so now, yeah, I'm just a. It's also easier now. You know, we're we're successful. We actually pay ourselves. <laughs> you know, these little things. Um, yeah. I have the most wonderful girlfriend in the world, Nicole. Uh, so, I'm, life's good. Good. Well, thank you for sharing that with us. Appreciate that. And are you an Android person or an iPhone person? iPhone iPhone, okay. Do you have a favorite app? You know, I'm pretty uh, limited in what I use a lot. You know, I, I, I use Chrome, Gmail, Twitter, Facebook, uh, a bunch of silly kids games. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Cart to go. Actually, no, I've replaced that with Evo now. Uh, um, yeah, you know, I don't have like a wide range of apps, to be honest. Pretty much just the standard stuff. Yeah, I mean, I've got five pages full of them, but <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of travel apps. You know, I, I use Expedia and some other things because I'm always traveling. Uh huh. And uh, do you have a favorite life or business hack to share? Some sort of shortcut or loophole that makes your life easier? Uh, I'm really disorganized as a professional, so (laughs) not really, but photography is my biggest passion outside of work. And I I have a hack for that. Maybe I'll apply to some people, um, or is at least a lesson because, you know, you'd say a favorite app or, you know, tools, uh, well, when you, when it comes to photography and it probably applies to some other things, the most important tool you have is your feet. It's not your lens. It's not anything like that. It's not how fancy the camera is. It's your feet. It's a great exercise. Stick a prime lens, no zoom. And then you have to start exploring, walking around until you find something different, something unusual, you know, breaking, breaking rule. Actually, this is probably more, more of the tip, like break rules uh, or law. You know, (laughs) they're they're there to prevent mass destruction, but it's okay with them and be risky sometimes you know you won't get an original photo if you don't try to be original and i think that applies you know to life in general yeah i noticed on your facebook page you have some some photos there are those pictures that you take mm-hmm. yeah yeah nice yeah you, you take great pictures you. and i know it's hard to pick one but do you have just for the purposes of our interview <laughs> do you have a cause that is near and dear to your heart uh the homeless and i think mm-hmm. maybe largely from living in Vancouver for so long, you know, because it's such a bad problem here. Um, yeah, that's that's the kind of thing that burdens my mind most of that in, in terms of that type of thing. I'm with you on that one. And last but not least, how can people reach out to you or find out more about Unbounce? I, for me, uh, the easiest and quickest way is on Twitter, just Ollie Gardner on Twitter. You can also email me, ollie.unbounce.com. And in terms of finding out more about Unbounce, you should just come to Call to Action Conference 
in June in Vancouver, June 19th, 21st. It's going to be amazing. A thousand people. Giant, biggest theater in Western Canada. It's going to be the biggest screen you've ever seen in your life. 20 amazing speakers. It's going to be phenomenal. Yeah, that looks good. I also noticed that somewhere on one of your social media <laughs> platforms as well. So I'll have, to, I'll have to check that out. And we'll put links to all of this stuff in our show notes. This show might actually... When's the conference? What's the date uh, of that? June 19th to 21st. Okay, well, this interview might come out after that, but we'll we'll see. Well, maybe we'll try and get it up earlier so that <laughs> give a little plug cool. to that to that conference. Thank you so much for joining me today. You obviously really know your stuff, and I just want to congratulate you on on your success. And uh, yeah, thanks for joining us today. Thank you, Rod. That was a lot of fun, and it was a pleasure to be on. Well, thanks again to Ollie Gardner from Unbounce for joining us on the third episode of the Jelly Marketing Podcast. If you'd like to check out some of the links and show notes from this episode, go to the Jelly Marketing Podcast page at jellymarketing.com and you'll find the podcast under the blog tab. Also, be sure and check us out on iTunes and leave a comment and a rating. We would love to hear from you. Thanks for listening and we'll talk to you soon. You can fly For the ones who know safety isn't a catchphrase, it's a culture. And the ones who help make sure everyone makes it home safe. For the safety-minded who watch everyone's backs, Granger offers supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as safety assessments and training to keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.